now on All Our FM. It's London Bridge with George Matlock. Welcome to Anglo-Polish Radio Order FM. I'm George Matlock and this is London Bridge, the social affairs and cultural show Bridging Communities. What a week that was. We started with midsummer all of a week ago and already the days are getting shorter. The hay fever season has started, but hopefully we have someone on air who is not unduly affected by those hay fever sniffle blues. I'm talking, of course, about our very own crooner herself. It's Katie Carr. Welcome to All FM. Witamy serdecznie. Oh, Dobry Vieto, very excited to be here again. How wonderful. It's great to have you back. Goodness, oh. I've lost count how many shows you've done now, actually. Oh, it's so, I'm so excited to be on Polish radio. It's great. I love it. OK, well, we're, we're, de- we're delighted to have you on as well. You know, that your enthusiasm comes through the airwaves. That's fantastic. Oh, great. Now, Katie, now, listen, I, I know you've got a little secret. You can't tell us everything about it, and I appreciate mm. that. But tell us, what have you been doing this week? Because you've been in some kind of a studio or other, and I'm not talking about the radio studio. Yeah, no, I'm not recording any of my own music, but I'm recording music for a musical that will be mm-hmm. on Broadway. So Ooh. I can't, I can't really talk a little bit. I can't talk much about that at the moment because it's top secret. But that's all I can say. Now, I just want to uh, clarify this: Are we talking uh, Ealing Broadway or are we talking uh, <laughs> New York? Um, it could be Ealing Broadway. <laughs> I'm sure that's, that they'd be very, very, very proud to put there. If musical. I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. <laughs> Ealing Broadway. Broadway. Bring That'd it be on. great. <laughs> <laughs> love it if it was on Ealing Broadway. I love Ealing. It's a great part of the world. Well, I, very important to us as well, as you know. Wow. Okay, well, look, in that case, whatever it is, it sounds pretty gripping. Do, do you have any idea about when uh, this thing's going to hit Broadway? Um, in about a year's time. Ooh. So um, it's, there's a lot of work to be done. But, yeah, no, I can't really say much more about that. But I can tell you that I did play at WOMAD at Bristol Zoo, and I did play my Polish songs for the first time. I made my de- debut performance there. Wow. And I will be playing at WOMAD at the end of July, which is a very big opportunity for um, my band and myself, Katie Carr and the Aviators. And um, as, as everybody who has been supporting me over the last year has seen that, you know, the music that I've made has been incredibly supported by the Polish community here in Great Britain and everyone is just behind me and helping to inspire and 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 share um, not only my own songs about the Second World War experience in Poland but also those wonderful traditional songs that I've been able to learn and sing and share with audiences British and Polish alike. So really, really excited um, we did sing Hey Sokoe at Bristol, and it was mainly a, Brit- a British audience, and everyone joined in and sang. And also I sang my song about Roy Tick the Bear. Um, and this month has seen me do go to Poland to do uh, various shows. I went to play um, at Ursinalia Festival in Warsaw, and I also did a one-hour show on Troika Radio, which was fantastic. It was an amazing show. We had three three times standing ovation from the audience it was the most incredible atmosphere um and then i went to open the memorial in jagan for wojtek memorial which wojtek was the mascot of the polish two corps um in monte cassino legend has it that he actually carried 
um, ammunition boxes there mm. for the soldiers. So we were able to open this memorial. I sang my song there. I did a concert. And also I went to Torun and I played at the castle in Torun, which was incredible for a very wonderful um, memorial to Scout event. Of course, and indeed the birthplace of one Copernicus as well. Fantastic. Yes, it, I went to his house oh, and I had, I had gingerbread. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yes, those gingerbreads. He's still alive, you know, Copernicus, his he, friend. He, he is. He's with us everywhere. <laughs> he's with us everywhere. He's on a <laughs> plate of serving <laughs> right now tea time. Wow. OK. Well, listen, that sounds like you've had a whirlwind of things going on there. I don't even know where to start by picking into those and asking you questions. But in just in summation, obviously, Wojtek the Bear has become something of a legend on this programme. We've talked about it endlessly. It seems that hardly a week passes that we don't have some story or some... Uh, further, uh, you know, anecdote or two about him. And, of course, there's a memorial being, uh, being ra- fundraised at the moment for Edinburgh, of course, which is where he, he spent his last days back in 1963. Yeah. But um, he, is an, he is an amazing bear, and whatever the truth of, of what he did or didn't do, he, he's a, it's an amazing and a very evocative story. Now, um, tell us if you just would briefly... Um, uh, you, you, you did all these concerts and, and, and you uh, unveiled, uh, you opened uh, things like, uh, you said, Zagan, for example. Um, so you've done a, quite a bit of travelling. Um, I just want to ask you one tiny question. I want to sneak it in about what you mentioned right at the beginning about the Broadway thing. I, d- I don't want to dwell on it, but I do want to ask you this. Is it going to be, is it going to be a Polish connection of some sort, apart from you singing on, on, on this uh, or, or um, you know, or is there is there is there, a, is there a Polish story, or is there a Polish producer behind it, or? Um, well, I'm doing two musicals at the moment, oh, but gosh. one one is one has got a Polish angle too. Oh, yeah. okay. Can't say much more about that, but the other one's quite British. So. Okay, okay. So which um, which one's going to Broadway? The quite British or the quite Polish? Both. Both hopefully, of them. Hopefully. Oh wow. <laughs> Oh, right, bring it on. Well, We've this, got to uh, remain positive here, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> I, want a front row seat. I want a front row seat when it happens. Fantastic. Great. Excellent. Well, all the very best with that. Now, on to the show, Good and Proper. Now, this is where we do the, the, the heavy-duty stuff. Um, you've got your own very own catchphrase, which is? Um, make a song and dance about it. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Fantastic. Uh, and uh, we're going to sort of rattle through, through, through about four stories that we've got in the next uh, sort of 25 minutes or so. And uh, the first story that uh, has come to our attention, and again, all of these stories have been kindly sent in to us by the Polish Media Issues Group. Uh, and the first one uh, that we've got here is actually from the, uh, the Telegraph and Argus uh, website, and it's under the headline of Police Call for Polish Club to Lose Licence. Not a particularly inspiring story, I have to say, to start with, but it's uh, one we, uh, we certainly thought was uh, something we, we ought to bring to people's attention. The police are calling for a social club to be stripped of its drinks licence for over fears drunken children are getting into fights there. Officers have been called to reports of violence at the Polish Parish Club in Edmund Street, Bradford, three times this year. On March the 2nd, police were called after three boys aged 16 and under were injured outside the members-only club. A police report to Bradford Council said that about 30 children aged 15 and 16 were at the premises, appeared to be under the influence of alcohol, and became abusive and obstructive towards the police. On April the 6th, the police were called to another fight. When officers got there, more than 70 teenagers were outside the club. They appeared to be drunk and were again being abusive towards the police. The uh, police... Uh, were called out for a third fight outside the club on May the 4th. On arrival, officers were confronted by a large group of teenagers who appeared to be drunk. 
the police have also seen events at the club advertised to the pub police Kalitz. I'm not quite sure what that word is. I think it's a typo of some sort. Uh, despite it having a members-only license. Uh, they carried out two test purchase operations in June and September last year, in which plainclothes officers were able to enter the club and buy alcohol without being members. The call to move the licence is being backed by the council's own licensing team. Club steward Dariusz Baginski said the club was hoping to get a new licence, which would allow it to hold public events and was also fitting CCTV cameras and sound-limiting equipment to prevent neighbours from being disturbed by noise. Bradford's district licensing panel will make a decision about this uh, next week. Well, now, um, Katie, you've heard that story. Um, in a nutshell, I mean, it sounds like it's a story of two halves here. We've got a lot of stories about kids outside the club being disorderly, which obviously doesn't prove that they actually were drinking inside the club. And then you've got the plainclothes policeman who actually managed to slip through uh, the perhaps not entirely watertight uh, restrictions on members only. Yeah, well, they were probably older, mm. you see, so they, they weren't used, were they? The plainclothes plain officers who were able to enter the club were obviously older than the youths that were standing outside the club. So that doesn't really bear any relation to the fact that the, pl the club is, being, is, is, is behaving out of order because, no. because um, obviously the officers would, would have been adults and yeah. so therefore they were allowed to... They were over the drinking age limit and yeah. obviously looked probably quite respectable and went into the club. So that doesn't really... That doesn't really add anything to this argument. I mean, obviously, you know, you've got young people here. What, what, what? Everyone seems to pick on young people and and, and say that they're causing trouble. But you have to look at the, the wider picture. You know, what? Why are they out there? What in the local area is making those kids hang out um, at the Polish parish club? Now. Um, you know, one of those things is that a lot of youth clubs in this country have closed down. Mm. Young people have nowhere to hang out. Um, nobody, well, a very few, very few of these young. You don't, we don't know the, the backgrounds of these young people. We have no idea. You know, their nationality, where, even their nationality. We have no idea who they are, mm. and you know. There's obviously going to be some conflict between young people and the police because there always is. There's, a, you know, there's a rebellious nature among, amongst young people, and and they, you know, drink is one of those things that is is part of youth culture, and it's unfortunately, you know, sometimes is 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 not used in the way it should be used. But in, but but it's a part of youth culture. But we have to, you know, these 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 issues go deeper than just looking at the kids outside the club i mean you know why are they there what 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 is making them there you know what is why why in the local area do they have, have they don't have anywhere else to hang out or why isn't there some other organization that can help you know um alleviate some of the boredom that they might be feeling in this local area so you know there's lots of different issues here and i have to say hmm. It's, it, it, it can't be really the Polish club's fault because it's not their fault that there is there are young people outside the club. I mean, okay. it's just the building. As 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 I prefaced, and I think you you've made the case as well. Uh, this is a story of two halves. I mean, there's the, the kids. Uh, what are they doing outside? Um, who are they even? Um, how do they obtain their alcohol? There's no there's no evidence 
from that story at least, that, they, that they, they're actually picking up uh, drinks from inside the venue. So that's the and first I'm step. also looking at the picture of the Polish Parish Club mm. here, and there's a huge parking outside. Um, so it is a good place for people to gather anyway. There's one car parked there. Um, you know, it, it looks like it is, it's, there's quite a small entrance. So if 70 children had to go in, or 70 young people had to go into the club, I mean, the club would know about it. Mm. That's why they were outside. And who knows? I mean, you know, who knows why kids were hanging out? I mean, we have no idea what the rest of the street looks like. Maybe that's the only club in the whole area. Who knows? And, you know, I, I mean, I have to say I'm on... I'm on the kids' side because, you know what, I'm on the young people's side because why would they, why would they um, be hanging out outside a Polish club? Why haven't they got somewhere, a youth club, that they could go to where they would feel safe, where they could meet their friends in a safe haven and stuff? What is the council doing in Bradford allowing this to happen? There should be a place for young people to hang out. Yeah. OK, well, you know, in this day and age, what we can do is quickly fidget with our computer using sort of Google Maps and then Google Earth. We can actually zone in right on this very venue, uh, as we have that address uh, already in the story. Uh, we can actually have a little bit of a trip around and uh, explore for ourselves, well, what is nearby? Uh, what sort of an area is it? Um, so, yep, perhaps we can do that in, in our own time. But for the purpose of the show, a good point that you make about the environment and the, uh, the perhaps uh, uh, not disclosed circumstances of all of this. But the other side of the story, which is about the, the adults, as you say, the, the, the plainclothes police officers going into the, the bar. Yeah, that's a joke. That is a complete joke because really, I mean, they're adults, so they're, of course they're going to be allowed into a Yeah, but a, that's not the point, is it? That's, absolutely, but that's not actually the point. The point, I think, the point here is, is yeah. well, the point is that they're not members. So, uh, yeah, but a lot least... of these Polish clubs that are, are, are run are run by volunteers, people who are trying to keep the Polish community together in Great Britain. And you have to commend these people for holding up, out and actually running these clubs so that the Polish community can go and support them. Now, you know, you know, if if people can get into MI5 without um, <laughs> without passes, and you hear of these horror stories of people dropping various packages even in on the steps of 10 Downing Street well, what chance has a Polish club in Bradford got about keeping security right. especially if you've got two good looking hopefully good looking lads going in there in plain clothes you know acting respectably then you don't, you don't see any trouble from these people. I mean, you know, they're, they're, obviously the plainclothes policemen were, were acting very decently when they went inside. I mean, it doesn't prove anything. Mm. OK, all right. Well, it does prove one thing, and that is that security or controls on membership are, n are not as stringent as they could be. But that's nice because the Polish community is a very open community and likes to be hospitable, so I don't see that that's a problem at all. And I, I, if I didn't have a membership and, and was walked, in, walked into Polish Bradford Club, I'd be very happy happy to be welcomed in there with a drink and be able to, able to buy a drink, so I don't see that's Well, I'm, I'm actually with the police and the courts on this one, in that case, Casey, because I'm I actually... Not. Well, I am, because I think that... And I like a bit of controversy, so thank you for <laughs> holding your own position, uh, and don't let go. But what I will say is, um, I'm with the other side on this, because uh, if, if this is supposed to be um, uh, you know, hos hospitality, then frankly, scratch that sign that says members only, and put outside anyone over oh, yeah. the age, age of 18 
is welcome because that's what hospitality is about. So it's either hospitality or it's exclusivity. You can't. Oh, really I have to. I didn't see that. Okay, right. that that puts a different bearing on it. Right. Well, yeah, yeah it's a members only. only club. You see, it's a members only club, so they should actually police it, frankly, for their own good and uh, more than anything else, because you know they've got to put their money where their mouth is. Sure. But anyway, it's one of those things. But it's a it's a story that will run and run. But I do agree with you on the kids. I do feel sorry that uh, perhaps uh, people have overinterpreted their their role in all of this. So now, young people always get blamed for everything, and it's it's just it's not fair, really. Yeah, standing up for young people. No, well, I'm young myself, so I know what it's like. <laughs> I'm not alone. I know what it's like not to have people, you know, around you yeah. and places to go. So, yeah, I'm totally on the young people's side. Absolutely. OK. All right. So now the next story, then. Uh, this is a, a short piece, indeed, uh, from the, in fact, the Socialist Party. Uh, they've got their own publication. They've got their own website. And the reason we're going to read the story will become, I think, hopefully apparent uh, very quickly as we uh, soldier on. So this story is um, Brighton bin workers strike for seven days. And the story is, on Friday, hundreds of people rallied in support of Brighton City clean workers as they began a seven-day-long strike against planned pay cuts by the Green-Controlled Council. The picket line outside the bin depot began in the early hours of Friday morning and was soon spilling into the road, swelled by bin workers, their families, other union members, students and bedroom tax campaigners. The strike successfully closed the depot, with its gates shut and barred with placards telling the loathed Green Council leader Jason Kitkat to take a break from cutting our pay. I'm sure they loved writing that slogan. Uh, and um, a reporter for the Socialist uh, newspaper was told that the strike was 100% solid and succeeded in drawing in Polish workers to the dispute. There had been a worry that management would try to drive a wedge among the workforce, but it clearly uh, hadn't been successful. Uh, the only person who tried to cross the picket line was a former driver turned manager who set out on a one-man mission to drive a refuse truck around the city. He was quickly turned away. Now, uh, OK, obviously this story does have a certain element of, how can I put this, uh, you know, a certain element of emotion. Uh, that's because of who basically who wrote, who wrote the, the, the piece. It's perhaps not the most, shall we say, abstract piece of journalism I've ever seen. Um, but all the same, I think the interesting point of all of this is not so much the dispute, and that's, a, that's in itself or in its own bubble. Uh, what's interesting to me is that the Polish workers clearly were not intimidated by management. They clearly knew what their rights were. They felt in a particular way. And if the story is true, and we can only go by what we've read here, uh, then it does appear to have borne success and, uh, and, and have united uh, people into the strike. Uh, and do you have any thoughts about, I don't want to call it a militant Polish community, because I don't think that's what it is, but uh, shall we say a more um, sort of, um, uh, you know, bang to rights Polish community where, where they know what their rights are and they're, they're, they're happy to flex their muscles uh, well I think that um, um, from my experience you know that from being within the Polish community from having Polish blood from having a Polish family you know Polish people are very in my opinion they're very um, loyal and they're very loyal to their beliefs and they want to um, express themselves in a way that is, is for the good of the workers and is, good, is for a good 
for the for the overall big picture and the rebellious nature of Polish people and the the way Polish people are very um, are very confident with the way they think about certain things and about justice is is very inspiring to me. They, they they do like black and white, don't they? There's no. no I'm sort not of saying they like black and white, but I'm saying the character of a Polish person. I, I you know I've just been doing a big project in schools, and we've been showing people uh, and telling telling the children about Kazimierz Piechowski's story, mm. and we've been asking you know the children what do they think of Polish people through Kazik's story, and one of the and one of the children said, well, we think you know, um, children, uh, Polish people would stand up for their rights, they mm. wouldn't back down and they'd, they'd have camaraderie and they'd stand up and be, uh, and have wonderful, um, you know, traits. And I have to tend to agree, I'm, I'm very proud to have Polish blood and I'm very proud to have um, people who, who are loyal to their workmates and who do stand up and do the right thing and know their rights and yeah, why not? Hmm. Well, my uh, my very own uh, maternal grandfather uh, was a trade unionist just before World War II, and uh, he spent the rest of his life fighting against what he called the, the red capitalists of the Soviet Union. So there you go, you know, fighter once, fighter always. Okay, well, it's an interesting little story. Uh, we hope there'll I'd be... I'd say rebellious. It's a good, it's a good... Yes. I'm not sure about flexing muscles and fighting. That's not really where what I was trying to say. But I was saying, you know, about the rebellious nature mm. and the loyal nature of Polish people. Polish people, in my opinion, are very loyal. Mm. OK. Uh, now, the, the next story that we've got uh, is actually from, the, from Polish Radio, our partners in uh, Polish Radio uh, Warsaw. Uh, and this story uh, came to our attention uh, under the headline of Ukraine, Joint Resolution Possible Over World War II Massacres of Poles. Ukraine's ambassador in Poland has said a joint resolution over massacres of ethnic Poles by Ukrainian guerrillas during World War II is possible as the 70th anniversary of the killings approaches. Representatives of Ukraine's Committee for Understanding Between Nations arrived in Warsaw for further discussions on the matter. The main idea of these talks is to prevent the cultivation of memory from being turned into a tool that destroys understanding, said Ambassador Mary Markian uh, Marski in an interview with Polish Radio. Marski said he is hoping for support from both Polish and Ukrainian bishops. Although the committee is technically non-governmental, Malski noted that the group includes such figures as former president of Ukraine, Leonid Kravchuk. Next month, we'll see the 70th anniversary of the zenith of atrocities against ethnic Poles. The main action was launched on the 11th of July, 1943. The killings took place at about 100 localities in Nazi-occupied Volhynia, formerly a region of southeast Poland. Units of the Ukrainian Insurgent Army, that's the UPA, a guerrilla force of Ukrainian nationalists, carried out the actions. The purpose of the attacks was to cleanse the region of ethnic Poles, paving the way for the creation of a Ukrainian state after the Second World War. From 1943 to 45, it is estimated that between 30 and 60,000 Poles were killed in the Vohynia area. After the UPA strikes began, Poles began to fight back, mainly through units of the underground Home Army, the Armia Krajowa. 
It is estimated that Poles killed between two and 3,000 Ukrainians in Volynia and about 20,000 more when the fighting spread to other areas of southeast Poland in 1944 until way after the war in 1947. Various drafts of a Polish resolution have been proposed in recent weeks by the parliamentary clubs of the country's political parties. The most controversial question has been whether to use the word genocide to describe the attacks. Chief coalition partner Civic Platform did not use the word in its original draft. However, junior partner the P Polish Peasants' Party did use that term. Dominant opposition party, the, the Conservative Law and Justice, also used the word genocide in its draft. It is not clear at present whether any Ukrainian declaration would use that word. Well, this is a, a grisly part of uh, the, the World War II, and indeed spilling over after World War II, as, as we as we heard there, the uh, the the the, uh, the violence between uh, two neighbouring countries. Um, I was going to ask you first whether any of your uh, songs uh, conjure up anything about that, about that, those incidents. Yes, one of my songs is about um, the Red Red Rose. It's called Red Red Rose, and it's about the 1.8. Uh, it's dedicated to the 1.8 million Polish people who were transported to Siberia during the Second World War, and and of course I, I released my album on the 17th of September 2012 to mm -hmm. mark the commemoration of the Soviet invasion of Poland in 1939. Um, one of my... See, people use the word kill um, in, in text like this. So the news.pl put kill, mm -hmm. or it's been translated as kill, but these people were not killed, they were murdered. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's the difference. Um, it says the killings took place, but it's not killings, it's murders. Well, that, yes, it is, but I, I suppose the, the point about murder is for that you need a trial. There's been no trial, has there? The, well, these, the, this carnage has gone on, uh, and in these Auschwitz, people were in killed. Auschwitz concentration camp, those people were murdered. People were murdered. Uh, well, yes, but history is written by the victors, and um, we are the victors. So, in our de estimation, these people were murdered. If you if you ask uh, a Nazi sympathiser, you'll probably find a very different term being used. And so, again, as I say, this is a point where it's a theatre of words, which are best played out in a courtroom. We've never had that kind of trial. We've never really been able to. I, I disagree to, to get with you there it. because you know when I talk to veterans of the Second World War, they're very clear about the fact that people were not just killed they were murdered people were murdered without a fair trial yeah but what is the difference i mean um i say murder is actually a legal term that's that's why uh, to me that that term means something very specific and and for that you need a specific process um they were killed because they were exterminated um uh, the point about murder is that uh you imply that there was an intention to do it uh, and of course, yes, there was an intention to do it. Clearly, when they pulled out a revolver or they or, or they turned on the gas, um, that is an intention to kill. And therefore, you could say, well, that's murder, isn't it? It's but an it, unlaw it's an unlawful killing. Murder is an unlawful killing, with a malice afterthought. That's what that's what the term murder is. Hmm. And but I it was think carried out with great respect. It was carried out. Uh, this is just for the purposes of being balanced. Um, th these these atrocities were being carried out on the instructions of others. They, the the people who actually perpetrated these crimes uh, were basically the monkeys doing what someone else has told them to do. Don't you think? 
Well, it depends on what exactly of about what you're talking, what aspect of killing you're talking about, and who is doing the killing, right? I'm listening. Um, the elements of a murder are normally unlawful, right? So, could you say that any of this, of these killings, were lawful? No, they were unlawful. Um, it involves the killing. It's of a human being by another human being with a malice afterthought. Really, that is that they are the elements of of what a murder is. When you're talking about unlawful, you have to like distinguish, I guess, murder from killings that are done within the boundaries of a law, mm. such as such as an execution, justified self-defense, or the killing of enemy soldiers during a war. Um, the malice afterthought is what what I'm interested in when you're talking mm. about the murder because you're talking about um, eliminating holes from this area. So that is a malice afterthought carried out its everyday meaning. It's a, these these were deliberate, premeditated killings of of other human be- beings motivated by ill will. Um, murder is necessarily required. Um, it's, it, to me, this is murder. Well, you see, where I, where I do have sympathy with you, Katie, is on the point of uh, what was prescribed law at the time or not. Now, it, the, the fact that these laws or instructions or dictats were being meted out by an occupying and therefore illegal uh, enemy force within your country, i.e. a Nazi or a Soviet occupation, for example, of Polish territory, sovereign territory at that, is is actually a very important point because um, uh, if if they had decreed it through Parliament that 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 we will exterminate all Jews or all Slavs or all Gypsies or homosexuals, then yes, you could say well they were following the law, however unjust that w- law was and however uh, upside down the whole system was. But of course, what was really happening is that people were being lured effectively into uh, Auschwitz. That's not to say they were they were being you know. Uh, uh, encouraged to, to come, they were being forced into 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 uh, trains and and were being moved across uh, considerable distances in some cases across Europe to these what we know now know to be extermination camps. And the interesting point of this is that they were when they were coming uh, in, they were still being treated with a certain amount, no, not entirely, but a certain amount of dignity. And it was almost as though you're coming, you're going to a new world. Uh, how true that was. Uh, it wasn't quite the new world that people would have wanted. And so I suppose to that extent you could say it's murder because they were being lured, if you like, uh, into a trap. So I think that to that extent, I think, yeah, it's, it's fair to, to call it what, it what it is. But it's just that the word murder is actually a very emotive one. And uh, as a journalist, well, we, are, are, trained, degrees, we are, are trained not of, um, to use it. Well, we there are, are degrees of, of murder, aren't there? There are degrees and there are different levels of what you would consider as murder. Well, what's wrong with the word killing? You, you tell me. I mean, we talk about, uh, some people say Pol Pot murdered two million people in, in Southeast Asia. Others say he, he killed them. Well, what's the difference? I mean, in, in terms of what happened, the brutality is pretty much the same, isn't it? I, from spending a lot of time around the veterans of concentration camps and those people who were taken to Siberia, there is a definite difference. It is, you know, if you're if you're soldiers fighting in a war, and you're, for instance, in the trenches, 
and it's I'm not saying it's an even playing field. It's not an even even playing mm-hmm. field. Nothing nothing in war is an even 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 playing field. But you are in uniform, and you are fighting one one force is fighting another force. Now that can be called a killing. But where innocent people are being I can only use the word murdered, are being murdered in mass graves, and this is genocide. Mm. There is no other word for it. That is not the same, for me, that is not the same meaning. You know, um, people die in wars, people are killed in wars, absolutely. Mm. But but the the level of the the extent of human extermination in this instance it cannot be called a killing it is called it has to be called genocide and it has to be called murder so yeah but, um, you see that's where it gets very blurred you see is um when you look at other I- examples i mean t- two that come to mind are one before and one well after this incident the one before would be world war 1 you know, more people died of sort of starvation and and um, and, and 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 drowning in trenches in 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 France than than anywhere else, uh, and it's a good example there. You know, were they killed or were they murdered? Some people say that the amount of carnage involved, uh, the, the millions involved, uh, would would be uh, to, uh, amount to, to to a mass murder. Um, then you've got the other example, Milosevic in uh, in but you're Bosnia. Using murder, you're using murder in various various different instances here, yes, George. Of course. You know, yes, you're, of you're, course. You're, tr- you're translating the scene to suit the argument. But what we're talking about no, here I'm is trying genocide. To take example. No, I'm not. I'm just trying to take examples, and I'm you trying know, to people, say people were, were. This was mass genocide here. There's 60,000 poles that were, were murdered in this Volinia area. Um, to me, there's no other there's no other description for it but murder. Okay, so tell me, what about Milosevic? How would you handle that? Did he murder people or did he kill people? In what respect? Well, he sent troops into Sarajevo. Um, a lot of people were exterminated. Were they murdered? Troops into Sarajevo, and he was creating mass extermination of innocent people. Oh, I think they called it ethnic cleansing, didn't they? Well, that would be murder, of course. Yeah. But you see, the point is, he would say this was a state of war. Yeah, but they're innocent people with no way of fighting of back, and they're not. Absolutely, they're not, they're not people with, um, you know, they're not even people who are wearing soldiers' uniforms. They're not even an army. They're not even trained to fight. These are innocent people. Of course, it's murder. Well, this is where it's interesting because they're civilians. That's what makes it murder. Well, yes, but it also also murder can be used for anything that's unlawful, mm. really. But, it, but it, I agree with you. The, the reason why I'm, I'm playing perhaps if you enlist, advocate... If you enlist for an army, mm. you're, you're, you're choosing to be part of a war. If you are not enlisted... OK, but still, you know, the people who were murdered in Caton, the, um, the soldiers who were transported and murdered in Caton, the Polish soldiers, they were murdered because it wasn't a lawful... Um, field of war hmm. it was murder mass murder mass genocide no one can say that Katyn wasn't murder either okay you said enlisting for war there's quite a key thing there because um in world war one as you know uh to, to join for example the british army uh you volunteered nobody forced you into it um after yeah, the... but if you didn't volunteer you would face severe penalties and a lot of people face severe penalties 
abstainers. It was those great, those a great pressure to join. Yes, of course, war. there were pressures, but there wasn't a regulation saying that you had to do it. But there was, there were definite penalties if you didn't, and a lot of people suffered incredible, incredibly for not joining that war. Still, some didn't, and they were brave enough uh, to go with their convictions. But the point I'm making here is that uh, they, those, you know, in the First World War, people enlisted, so therefore they joined a campaign. But in World War II, having seen just how awful World War I was, of course the government changed the rules and said you had to join the army unless there were uh, circumstances to do with your med medical condition which would pre prevent yeah, you from... Yeah, but also the politics action. of war changed in Second World War because in the First World War a lot of it was to do, and now I'm not saying this is the entire, this is very general, you know, a lot of it was to do with honour and da 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 da, da. people had honour yeah, for king and country. different sides. Yes. But here in the Second World War the, the dynamics changed, you had machines for mass murder which changed the dynamics of that war hmm. but still people were being forced against their will to join the army and to go into this state but of every carnage. war is like that every war people are forced with uh, be, uh, against their will to join yeah well it all comes back down to the central theme which is it's a very emotive word murder it's one that we don't tend to use um, and for the good, for reasons that are to do with legality um, until and unless there is a process of, uh, so do you of think that's the reason why they're not that the Ukrainian um, yes I do de declaration is not to use the word genocide because do they not have enough evidence of this to no, call it genocide? I, I think it's because there has never actually been an investigation perhaps finally now with this joint declaration and whatever it leads to which we can only uh, welcome this process yes it's a very heartwarming that the Ukrainians mm. are, are, are are actually um, honouring this and and opening um, a discussion for this, yes. I, I welcome this. I think this is an incredibly brave, um, brave move by the Ukrainian mm. um, government, and this is this is wonderful for history because yes, some terrible things happened in the World War Two, and for um, for this this discussion to be opened. Um, however frightening it can be on, for both sides, mm. you know, to open a discussion is really welcome and I would congratulate both sides for, for, for welcoming this discussion. Absolutely. Well, I, I had to take that positive tone myself. Um, I can only say as well that uh, the process that they're now embarking upon, brave as it is, may well lead to certain elements of evidence being brought to, it, the, to the public domain which were not previously known and that, that in itself, and of course this is the big the crux of it all, could lead to trials uh, following and prosecutions following, in which case we can then talk about the murders and we can talk about who was actually perpetrating them. So I think this is a very important process indeed. Um, okay, right. Well, after that heavy-duty story, um, we've almost ran out of time. But I'm not going to gag you, because I think we've got a really good story to finish on, and a very important one for Anglo-Polish relations indeed. This is actually from the very venerable Economist magazine, uh, and this uh, story is under the headline of Relations between Britain and Poland have deteriorated at a bad time. In a recent article, Timothy Garton-Ash, a journalist and historian, compared Poland and Britain to two Spitfires, flying to different destinations. Poland is heading to Berlin, he argued, to align itself with Germany. The British plane is flying off into the Atlantic, away from the European Union. This is not quite the course Radek Sikorski, Poland's foreign minister, has in mind for his country. 
the newly operational Polish F-16 flies to Brussels, to both the EU and NATO, he says. Britain strongly backed Poland's accession to the European Union and was one of only three countries to fully open its labour market as soon as Poland joined the EU in 2004. The countries have much in common. Both are large, both are outside the Eurozone, both are proponents of a Thatcherite economic credo. They often were on the same side in Brussels negotiations. Poland used to be the British ally as a blocking power against the mighty Franco-German tandem, recalls Roderick Parks of PISM, a Warsaw think tank. Yet the relationship has become much frostier. Mr Sikorsky, an Anglophile, has nonetheless poured scorn on David Cameron's policy of attempting to renegotiate Britain's place in the EU before holding a referendum on whether or not to stay in. He has argued that the British Prime Minister is relegating his country to a category of special concern in the EU, where it must be treated like an unstable patient or a suicidal pr prisoner, liable to harm itself. We do what we can to keep Britain in the EU, he says despairingly. Poland has been annoyed with Britain ever since December 2011, when Mr Cameron vetoed a move to change the EU treaties to allow for greater surveillance of countries' budgets. This encouraged Germany and France to push on outside the treaty architecture. The result was a fiscal compact, which excludes Poland from Eurozone decision-making. The Poles' irritation grew at this, this year's budget summit. Britain campaigned for a cut, which would affect Poland most as the biggest recipient of EU funds. The fear is that Poland and other countries that are yet to join the Euro are now running on an outer track in Europe, where they have less influence, says Hans Kundani, Kundani rather, at the European Council on Foreign Relations. Although, uh, sorry, another reason for the uh, Polish frostiness is that the country has a new ally in Europe. The Polish and the German foreign ministers work together closely on EU-Russia relations, especially in security and energy policy. Mr Sikorsky has said that he fears German inaction more than German action. He is perhaps the first Polish foreign minister to feel that way. But developments in Britain have made things worse. It is now accepted wisdom in Westminster that the decision to open the country's labour market to Polish immigrants was a mistake. Ed Miliband, Labour's leader, claims the immigrants suppressed wages for native Britons. Polish politicians find this a bit rich. They point out that many of the Poles doing menial jobs in Britain were doing skilled jobs back home. They are a loss for Poland. And the British elite shows scant interest in the views of their Polish counterparts. When PISM, the think tank, recently organised a discussion on the British question, that is, the country's European future, a British official fired off an angry email telling the organisers that they would do better to discuss the Polish question, namely how to be in the centre of EU decision-making without being a member of the Eurozone. In some ways, the countries are still aligned. Britain and Poland share an enthusiasm for a single market in services and for EU enlargement. 
Both are keen on a free trade agreement with America. Between 2003 and 11, British exports to Poland tripled, and Poland has a larger trade surplus with Britain than with any other country. But Britain can no longer count Poland as an ally in the EU. For a country that is soon to embark on an ambitious reworking of its place in the Union, something that will require alliance building and much goodwill, this is bad news. Wow, goodness me. That's a bit of a, bit of a story, that, isn't it, The Economist? Always a good read, though. Beautifully written. They are so well sculpted, these stories. But is there a facade here? Scratch and sniff. What do you say to this one, Katie? Well, since the, la the second largest spoken language in Great Britain right now, or in the UK, is Polish. Hurrah! You know, oh, sorry, I couldn't I was contain myself. I say, um, you know, what a, what a little <laughs> fabricated story this is. Um, I completely <laughs> think it's absolutely appalling hmm. that, um, you know... Uh, it's a pro. It's an. Uh, it's an. Uh, what do you call it? An anti-immigration mm -hmm. uh, story. Mm -hmm. It's. It's absolutely, in my opinion, um, revolting. And um, I'm going to make a song and dance about this. <laughs> absolutely, it, it is revolting in in so many ways. Everything that I've listened to. Yeah. Uh, Poland. Poland's contribution to Great Britain has been huge, um, ever since. I was going to say time began, but let's let's stick with this 20th century. You know, look at the fourth largest um, Allied coalition army with 400,000 soldiers. That was the Polish army, uh, the the military abroad. Look at, at the contribution that that created for our own freedom in Great Britain. Um, this is just absolutely really sad. To, to read um, and I don't believe it's true I think it's a fabrication mm, mm. and of course we might add to all of that that uh, well after the war indeed uh, in Iraq uh, and uh, Afghanistan you know the, the Polish troops were also stationed mm. and played a very pivotal role uh, in supporting the uh, American and British forces a lot of countries never sent anyone over there. Some of them just sent medical aid. I remember the Japanese were, were very coy about how much they were going to do. Uh, and yet Poland, which had no direct and obvious interest in the uh, events and the shenanigans in a place like Iraq, and they're not, they're not after all a country that's going to benefit from oil contracts or what have you, yet they uh, were there to stand up and be counted and, and, and make up the forces. So it, it is, you know, as, an, as a more recent example, yet a more example of the, of the Polish contribution that, go, that, that lives on. Plus, so, it's a, plus this story is quite, um, it's not only degrading to Polish people, it's degrading to any immigrant that comes to this country. Immigrants are very much needed in, in our economy here in, in um, Great Britain. Um, they, they create... Um, jobs and works for themselves and, and, and actually it's absolutely right in some respects you know that the the, the um where it says uh, i can't find it in this article now where it actually says you know that they're they are a loss for poland the people who are cut the poles here who are doing mm. menial jobs like right. work in britain were doing school jobs back home and they are a loss for poland yes but you know the the fact that you know since poland is recovering from over 50 years of communism you know um the, the fees and the the employment rates of and the the salaries for people are not as high mm. in Poland than in Great Britain and 
obviously people had to come. Absolutely. To find, but that's that's just a you know, lots of Brits go all over the world. I mean, you know, you only have to look at Spain and see mass British emig- immigration all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really, there is there is no argument here. It's just it's it's really degrading for all immigrants from any mm. um, any any side of the world. Any any part of the world, sorry. Well, you know, um, uh, the the ties. I have to give a little example here. I know it's a slightly side 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 issue, but um, but it, there's a, there's a beautiful anecdote that goes with this. Um, the the Brits like to complain about immigrants who come to to Britain, be that Poles, be but that. But people in any country will complain about that. This is such a emotive subject for any country right, in the world, right. not only British people, but any country. But, I mean, you know, I'm sure if you talk to people in Poland about various other people coming from other places sure. they probably have a, have some, some yes, opinion about some immigrants I've heard, there I've heard negative but, things said about Ukrainians, Romanians Hungarians, well, exactly. you name it, exactly yeah, of course, absolutely, but that's not what, what I was going to was what I was going to drive at um, the, the difference being that Poles and others who come to Britain uh, as younger people tend to come here and make a positive contribution, they're not all health tourists, they're not all benefit scroungers, many of them and most of them in fact are coming here for the right good reasons that they haven't got a job at home back in Poland but they can make a positive contribution elsewhere where they will be rewarded and that is what what is the magnet if you like to them coming over for which this economy benefits now you think about the number of Britons who go abroad, many of them are 65 years old or or more, they go to places like Thailand and then they retire there what exactly uh, is the contribution they're making to the economy today well, I think nil you see that's the big issue that was what I was going to say but you know what we've now run out of time unfortunately so um, Katie it's been a pleasure it's been occasionally controversial but it's been absolutely a delight to have you on and I'm very grateful for your your you know oh, honest appraisal you so of, of much, the stories George. and I'm so happy you've you had some really good insights about the stories you know it's getting better and better each time you're on the show you're, you're getting even better at this stuff getting more confident. You are, you are. This is fantastic. That's it's great. exactly what we want. Absolutely. You know, you don't have to listen to what I say. You can tell me if I'm telling, t- telling people a bag of nails. I don't have any problems with that, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Oh, Katie, it's been a so pleasure. Um, we look forward to having you on in a few weeks' time. Bye. Bye.